0: Hello and welcome to Real Talk Intervention, episode number 25. I'm really excited about what we have today, Stephanie, because we are going to talk about the different forms that intervention can take. You and I have talked a lot about intervention with our our at-risk kids, our ELL kids, and our SPED kids this year as I've, I've talked about a little bit on the podcast my my role has changed and I've started teaching an actual AP class and at this exact same time one of my very good friends who I've taught with for the last six years she went from teaching also an AP science class to teaching a um co-teach class so she and I have been in this really awesome position where during the day in the midst of the day we get to swing from gifted and talented students to our at-risk students our most struggling learners and that has been a learning experience for me this year and uh, I thought I would invite my friend on so that we could talk a little bit about what it's like to uh, to differentiate within the same class for your gifted students and for your intervention students and uh, what that looks like.
1: I am also starting something new this year. I'm working with students on critical reading strategies that are going to help them get national merit status on their PSAT tests. And even though I've only been doing this for just, I don't know, a month. I'm already really appreciative of the differences in the students and how they're responding to the teaching, how they're responding to my personality, I mean just everything. It's a whole different set of skills and it's it's it's, it's interesting to try yes. to try to figure out what they need as I, I feel like I'm kind of go, winging it right now and I haven't felt like I was I've winged it in like ten years, so
0: right. And I think it's so funny because the things that you that you go to, the strategies that you go to when you're working with your struggling learners, you can't go to those strategies with your GT learners. And it's not that they don't need intervention because they do, but what you do doesn't work. So here's the thing about my good friend Valerie Miner. She has been teaching AP Bio for the last four years. She taught regular Bio. She taught chemistry. She's been our department head for the last six years, and She's won teacher of the year, I mean, several times. I don't even know if she keeps track anymore. (laughs) Oh, yeah, thanks. I'll just put that on the (laughs) shelf. She is a fabulous, fantastic teacher. And I think the reason that you know she's such a fantastic teacher is because she's now teaching AP Biology and a SPED co-teach. And if anything shows that you're a great teacher, the fact that you can reach both sides of that spectrum, you are a true teacher. Valerie Miner, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you.
2: And anytime you want to, follow me around and give me those accolades, I am all for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you had to rate yourself as this is the kind of student that I feel the most
2: comfortable with,
0: what would you think?
2: For sure, the students, the, the motivated GT students, of course, right? Who doesn't? But I feel like I can differentiate up. A lot easier than I can go the other direction. As I'm especially learning this year. See, and that is, I feel the exact opposite <laughs> of that. <laughs> me too. Me too. I,
0: I'm like, what do I do? You feel the same way, as Stephanie? Right. Great. So, so, Valerie, tell us your tricks. How do you, how do you differentiate for GT students?
2: I think the curiosity piece is probably the biggest difference I find when I go to my AP classes versus my co-teach classes. My co-teach kids are just gonna take whatever I give them and be like, meh, okay you know, maybe if they even are at that point yet. Whereas if I say something in my AP class, I have to be prepared to either A, go deeper, or B, say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that question. And I have to be comfortable with that. And so I think part of my success, I guess, if you'd call it that, or my strategy for teaching AP is being completely vulnerable with my students where, you know, I've shown them, yeah, I know my stuff, I I, I got this, but Wow, I love when you guys ask me questions that I don't know the answer to, that I've never thought of before, because let's be honest, those kids sitting in that room probably have a higher IQ than I do, but let's kind of explore it together. So I have this book called, we call it The, the Biology Bible, it pretty much has everything you could ever imagine about biology it's the campbell ap edition book and so we'll say let's go to the biology bible let's see what what it says there so i just have to to take the time to delve into that and to help capture that curiosity and and to be okay with that which i think some of us struggle with because we feel like oh i'm the teacher i have to know everything i have to be the smartest person in the room Whereas I feel like I have learned more from my students the last couple of years just by the questions that they ask and the things I have to look up. Right. It's not easy to be okay with that. Yes. Um, but if you squelch that curiosity, especially with your GT kids, that's what's keeping them hooked. You know, they most of them, they don't really care about the work. They want to have the knowledge. They want to know they're curious. It's hard on the ego, but <laughs> I have found that that's where most of our experience the class has been.
0: So if the challenge with teaching GT kids is
2: the curiosity and the level of rigor,
0: what's the challenge for teaching at-risk struggling learning disabled students?
2: When I step into my co-teach class I honestly feel like a first-year teacher again. The things that I have been able to do the last seven years in just my freshman pre-AP biology class, they don't work so kind of going back to square one and thinking you know what is the absolute foundation that i need to give these kids what are the things that if if they don't know this when they leave biology i have completely failed them and what are yeah. the things that are like the icing on the cake you know we, we've got the cake you know sometimes cupcakes without icing taste yeah. okay so if we can get that <laughs> we get that that cake there without the icing then it's all right and i think um having a co-teach situation really helps with that Because then what we can do is those students that can only have the cupcake without the icing, we can keep them with our co-teacher and the ones that we're able to add those other layers to, I can take them and take them a bit further. So that's the beauty of the co-teach, especially when you have a true partnership. And I've had to even look at how I'm disseminating information to them because me standing up there and looking at a figure and pointing things out and no, write this down. That doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I've been trying a lot of different things, like trying to balance, giving them some skills, like note-taking skills, but also realizing the limitations that we're coming across. And honestly, with some of them, the motivation that why do I need to take these notes? And so just trying to find that. And so we've, we've implemented a few things like we'll do color-coded concept mapping with our vocab words and um, I think that most of them have really kind of latched on to that I bought sets of colored pens for each group in my classroom so they have these pretty colored pens that they get to use these are the kids that many of them don't even bring pencils to class so they yes. get so excited yes. that they get this cup of colored pens and so just kind of trying to find that little thing that will give them That's something nice. before we started anything we just spent like three class periods just like getting to know each other building relationships and then one day I just asked them I'm like write down what motivates you. Kind of keeping that in the back of my mind as we're working too has helped.
0: Going into my AP class, I felt like a first-year teacher. And by the way, that's a horrible feeling. And it's like you said, all the strategies, all the tools that I had in my toolbox, they just don't work. And that shocked me because I don't know how you felt about it, Valerie, but I felt like if I can teach these kids, I can teach any kids. But it's not true. (laughs) It's actually not true. And it's like the things that I've done have kind of backfired on me. I feel like the relationship that I built with my intervention students was way more crucial to their success than any sort of relationship that I have with my AP kids.
2: A lot of them, for some reason, AP biology will be their first AP class that they decide to try. So I think with those who aren't like true AP track students who just thought, hey, I'm going to take AP biology this year, which I have a good number of those. I feel like that relationship piece is still very key. But I think the ones that are there for a reason, like I need five AP sciences. Yeah. I want to go to med school. I want to get into A M, right. whatever it is. I think it doesn't really matter who is kind of facilitating their learning. But you know what I also find is I feel like developing the relationships with my AP students is a ton easier. Yes. It's a lot easier for me to be very connected and close to my AP students, but I really have to make an effort with my freshmen. And I wonder if it's, have they struggled their whole school career? connecting to like mm-hmm. school and the school environment and mm-hmm. the adults in the building and have they always just sort of felt like not valued like I wonder if they have felt that so much that by the time they get to us they're just like it's just one more adult that's trying to teach me this yeah they're trying to teach me this stuff that I don't really care about you know I wonder if that's the case and if so gosh how sad is that
0: I'm wondering if you're going to completely disagree with me. And this is just a product of the way that you and I teach and what we're good at teaching. Right. Because with my intervention kids, I feel like toward the end, they they actually are like stoked about the fact that they're learning things and that they're having like success. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm coming. I can answer this. I can read this passage. And I couldn't read it before. And I feel that like that love for learning coming out of them where I don't feel like I see that with my AP class. But maybe that's just because I don't know what I'm doing.
2: No, I think you're right. I think our true GT kiddo, for the most part, they, they kind of want, like, where's my means to my to the end? Um, yes. A few students kind of pop out of my brain that I know are just there, not because they have a love for biology or because they want to know more, but because they want to have a 97 in AP biology on their transcript. Mm-hmm. So... I completely agree. I also feel like though I think I've got a good population of student that does is is really interested in
1: bio and does want to learn more. So I kind of I see both. Well I mean our GT kids they definitely have a path and a plan in mind and that's one thing that my kids in intervention do not um, or if they do have a plan it's not realistic like I hate biology but I want to be an obstetrician kind of thing. Right. Um, So, like, do you think maybe that future orientation that they have is it's what's kind of fueling that or making that worse?
2: Yeah, I do. And I think just the, the sheer competition of, you know, I can only get into this good school if I'm in the top however many, right? And so mm-hmm. that number makes such a big difference, which it's frustrating to me um, because there's so much more to it. Yeah. And the kids that really, truly – just want to learn and maybe they're only making like an 87 cause they're working their tail off. Like mm-hmm. those are my kids. Like they just want to know.
0: I, I was in a training the other day and it was a, a an ex superintendent. And he said that when he was the superintendent, he recommended moving away from the class rank system completely and doing the college, uh, magnum mm-hmm. cum laude, summa cum laude and cum laude system. And that went over like, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> rock for sure.
1: in Texas in particular, <laughs> but he,
0: Yeah. Imagine. I don't know. What would that what do you think? What do you think that would do to our GT kids? How would that change their behavior? Because they're so motivated by grades and they're so motivated by class rank. So I
2: think that a lot of our kids that are just on this path because they need the highest GPA, we're going to lose those kids.
0: That's the problem, and and that's like where the grade thing. Because I think if you look at this on one of two ways, like grades and how they beat our kids down. You know, on the on the lower level with the intervention kids, the struggling students, well, the grades are beating them down because they they're just incapable of getting the high grade that's that everybody mm-hmm. wants, right? And then on the upper end, it's beating them down because they just no longer care about the actual right. outcome, but they only care about the number on the paper. So the end result is nobody's happy, yeah. you know, but. Let's let's think about this for a minute. So you're both of us now are living in these highly specialized worlds that perhaps this is indicative of where education is heading in the future, right? But so you have a class, I have a class of mostly AP top top performing students and then you have a class of mostly, you know, low performing, struggling students. Now that you've seen all of this, what would a teacher do having a full-on mix of all of these students. How do you differentiate in a mixed group class?
2: Our classrooms cannot continue to look like they do. You know, I saw this interesting video about how cell phones have changed over the last 100 years and cars have changed over the last 100 years, but classrooms look Mm -hmm. identical. The only way to Mm -hmm. approach even, I, I think, education in general, and I have kind of shifted, just recently kind of more towards this we've got to individualize our learning and that's that's a hard job but it can't be i'm up here and i'm teaching you all of the information and we've got to put learning in their hands and we've got to figure out where they are and meet them where they are and our classrooms cannot look the way that they look now if we truly want to make sure that we are giving every student and meeting them where they are and getting them where they need to go giving each person you know like here, let's give you this assessment. Where are you? What do you need to work on? What standards do you need to know? What skills do you need to know? Here's your plan. You know, and we really need to spend time doing that.
1: No, well, yeah, that's what we've been doing forever.
2: <laughs> like I've been listening to you or something.
1: Well,
0: you know, where I where I get hung up though is how do you do this? How do you individualize student learning in a collaborative well remaining in a collaborative setting? Because we all know that collaboration is important and we want that. And that's one of the great things, like one of the reasons we don't want everything to be independent study, right? Is because we see some value in the collaboration aspect, but realistically, how do you do that? How do you do independent study and collaboration?
2: I think because of the training that I've gone through for project-based learning, that's sort of what's in my brain. Like, assess where they are can i put them into groups based on that do i differentiate the group and you know i keep going back to the standards-based grading thing even even with our higher achieving kids like how can i just assess that they know what what they need to know without giving them assignment a b c d and e right maybe they just have to do b and c but when we are talking about the information when we are collaborating on our learning That's when that collaboration piece comes in. So I see this kind of a blended model where we're talking, we're collaborating, we're talking, we're collaborating, we're getting this great conversation. I know I live in Edutopia, right? Um, And then when it comes to showing me your learning, you're doing A and B, I'm doing C and D, he's doing E because of where they are. Is it going to be easy? No. Will it fit in our current system? No. But I think this is where we need to go.
1: Have you found that project-based learning has is working for your intervention level kids? Because that's one thing that Sarah and I have talked about a lot, is sometimes it's like our kids don't even have enough information to be able to make any sort of real connections when they're doing those kind of like inquiry projects.
2: I definitely have approached it way different with... Um, the co-teach classes that I have my, you know, pre-EP classes in the past, they need, a, I think, a bit more guidance, but they still really benefit from having that real world connection. And I've seen that over and over and over. So talk to your neighbor, like actually talking <laughs> to each other. And that's kind of been the skill that I've been working on.
1: That is something our kids have a hard time. They literally, you give them time to talk to each other, and they look at each other Mm -hmm. like they're aliens. Like, oh, my God, what am I I doing here? I
2: almost (laughs) think, like, we need to be vertically aligning the soft skills that we're teaching our kids. Like, step one, learn how to talk to your neighbor. Step two, (laughs) like, for real, I think that because we just assume they know how to collaborate, but they don't.
1: No, they can talk to each other about, like, stuff on the phones or whatever, (laughs) but when it comes to anything academic, they look at each other like they've never seen that human being before in their lives, and they have no idea how to then start those conversations, so that has been, like, a huge struggle with me, especially when you're talking about cooperative learning, because... How do you get people to cooperate when they won't even get to the point of talking? Well,
0: don't you feel like it's just so vulnerable for them? I mean, that's where I think it is and to be honest, again, because I just don't know what I'm doing this entire A- <laughs> class. But like I feel like both of these situations I cannot get students to collaborate. Like in with my intervention kids, I just the collaboration never works for me because they're all drowning so nobody can pull each other up. But on the other hand, I have the same problem. I try to, you know, do things like that with my GT kids and they also just kind of want to get into their little bunkers, sit down and, and, and work on their own stuff because it's vulnerable and it's, it's vulnerable for the intervention kids because, you know, they don't know anything, but it's also vulnerable for the AP kids because the content's really hard. They don't want to put themselves out there and, a lot of them, you know, in AP Chem, a lot of times this is the class that it's the first time they've ever really struggled. And so they come across the same little problems. And then there's always like that one smart person who knows everything. right? And they start, you know, talking and making everybody else feel bad. And so I really hate the like lecture-based industrial model of education, but I keep finding myself falling down back to it
2: that's what I mean that's what they've known so I think that we are mm-hmm. dealing with the product of these kids that have gone through traditional education and until a shift happens we are going to continue to to fight this so I don't know but I do st- mm-hmm. I mean I of course have kids that are struggling with that on both ends and my freshmen were still I, I literally the last class I was like and now you're going to talk to your neighbor, <laughs> you know, yeah. so we really have, we and literally And these are your are sentence that.
1: stems yeah. on how to have the conversation. <laughs> <Yes>. and-,
2: <laughs> and, you know, I do give my AP students sentence stems when we do collaborative study
1: groups. So I encountered something this year in my intervention classes that I haven't encountered at this school yet, um, and I'm, I'm curious as to the feedback from both of you since you've worked both ends now. So I had a kiddo, and, and typically I don't see them because I, I'm working with the juniors and seniors, the ones who've failed the STAR test for English, you know, multiple times, and so I don't ever see these kids. And I got a kid in my class this time that was a GT, a coded GT kid. And, wow, the difference between his behavior and their behavior, his engagement and their engagement, the way I talked to him. I mean, I was struggling with him more than any of the other yes. kids. Me too. It, t- it <laughs> took me, yeah, it took me till the end of the semester to even get him engaged enough to actually do anything. And, yeah, what do you do with a GT kid who's actually technically – also tier three. Mm-hmm. Like what do you do with that kid who's just so disengaged from the process completely that they're that they're not even putting forth any effort?
0: I definitely feel like in my class I've got kids who are GT in tier three in the sense of you know they're not tier three in the sense of like some of the students I have right. worked with in the past, but they're definitely tier three in this class, and that is a nightmare. Oh my gosh! They are so smart and they're so quick and they are so I, I don't know. My perspective is they don't know how mm-hmm. to deal with it when they're challenged, and they haven't had. Or they just shut down. Yes, they haven't had the challenge in the past. In fact, this one student in particular, I'm thinking about. I went and was looking at the notes from his meetings in from the past elementary school and on and on and I'm looking at all these parent meetings and it keeps saying over and over again needs to be challenged student needs to be challenged student needs to be challenged and I was like yeah he did guys yeah nobody (laughs) has been able to pull it off yet (laughs) yeah until all of a sudden it hits like a like a wall and I don't I don't know what to do with that
2: uh I wish I wish I did I have one that's sticks out in my mind um you know here we haven't had on the ap bio test a five in like five or six or more years and last year i had a five and i did absolutely nothing for that kid because he was that kid like (laughs) he didn't want to do any of the collaborative work he could have cared less about you know any of the 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 activities that we did in class um i know i gave that kid Mm -hmm. nothing besides here's a plan of what we're gonna learn and here's what we're gonna learn and here's your reading assignments. And, and luckily this kid was motivated. I mean, cause I think you can find the, the kids like that are so super smart, but haven't been challenged. And so they're like, they're done. They're not gonna do anything. And they're the ones that are sitting there having zeros in all their daily work. And then they make like 105 right. on your test. Yeah.
0: Well, the thing that i keep telling them what they have to learn is sooner or later you're going to hit the point where your natural ability doesn't take right. you anymore and and we all hit that at certain points but we all hit it some of us hit it at fourth grade some of us hit it at seventh grade some of us hit it at college the question then becomes What do you do when you're faced with that moment? What do you do? And what I notice with too many of my students is what they do is just quit, you know.
1: On both ends.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean,
1: how many GT kids get to college and it's the first time they had to do homework and they just drop out? That's a
0: great point. You're right. That is Mm -hmm. commonality on both ends. You're right. I mean, maybe it's just it's human nature when we encounter failure to quit unless we've taught people how to push through
1: that failure. And maybe those average kids have gotten that. Yeah, the, for they've care. learned kind of like how to and make sure that they're staying on top of the things. They, maybe they don't have a whole lot of the skills that the GT kids have, but they've got that tenacity that the maybe the AP kids haven't developed yet.
0: And probably the reason that the quote-unquote average kid has learned that skill is because everything's always been just slightly Ooh, out of reach. They've had to work for it. <laughs> just yeah. a
1: little bit harder. Just yeah, a little bit Yeah, they just had to harder. work a little bit. There comes your... Your
0: zone of proximal development. <laughs> right. Whereas with our kids on either end of the spectrum, everything's been either way, way too, too easy hard. way too oh, challenging.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Vygotsky, we you. love you. We love you, Vygotsky, wherever you
2: are. <laughs> if you look at like textbook GT... They're not the high achievers, right? which always shocked me. I mean, just because they're GT, it doesn't mean that they like school or that, you know, they they want to be achievers. It just comes to them. And so I think you're right. right. I think they don't have that internal motivation on top of that intelligence. They're only going to go so far.
0: Your at-risk student is looking for support. Your upper-level student is looking for loopholes. (laughs) And so when I go into an at-risk classroom, I am like, I am here to support you and show you success and and build that up for you. But with your upper-level student, you need to find the challenge. You need to push back to them. So challenge them versus support them. And if you're a general, I completely see how if you're in a general education classroom and you've got both ends, upper level and lower level, mm-hmm. so to speak, on, on both classrooms, how difficult that is to simultaneously be as supportive as your struggling student right. needs you to be while being as challenging as your upper level student needs you to be while remaining fair and equitable, at least in the way that you look.
2: It's impossible yeah. in our yeah setup to for one person to do that. I mean it just
1: I love that loopholes thing and I'm wondering is is the key to successful differentiation for those GT kids those AP kids making the work more challenging than finding the loopholes like do you think they look for the loopholes just because it's mm-hmm. like a challenge to try to problem solve out of getting the work like it has to mean yes, something and right.
2: it has to has to hook them in somehow. You have to find a reason to get them to care. And, you know, to get these students who can barely read to care about biology, Ooh. their freshman year in high school, I mean, we just can't give them busy work. Like, here, just do this vocab sheet. They, I mean, yeah. we have to give them something yeah. to sink their teeth into. And it's hard. You can't just phone it in. That's just, I mean, we signed up for this, yeah. is what
1: the, right? So. Yeah. Teaching is hard. Is that what you're saying?
2: <laughs>
1: hmm. No, I just gotta do teaching for the summers off. What are
2: you talking about?
0: <laughs> well, I think when I when I think about the loopholes thing, I actually started I had a little bit of a revelation when I started thinking about the way that I approach school, I, I was exactly that same way. And because when I think about like the teacher that when I when I think about teachers that fail with at-risk students it's the teacher that's standing there rigidly demanding their (laughs) deadline demanding their assignment taking off for late work I mean and I just think this is not the way to be but you know what the reason that they are like that is because that's the way you have to be with these upper level kids and I realize I'm the same way you give me an inch I will take a mile you have to differentiate that how hard you are on the students and whether you are pushing them and challenging them versus whether you're supporting them
1: that's a good point I mean
0: it is a question of just sort of being lazy and trying to see what you can get away with.
1: All of us are lazy. I mean, that's human nature. You know, you have got to give somebody a reason to not be lazy.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Valerie, I think we've we've learned that teaching is hard. Teaching this was a valuable is
1: lesson hard. That we took so that I can today. give you that little nugget. <laughs> I yes.
0: hope, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for taking this time with us today.
2: <laughs> teaching is hard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We would love to hear more from uh, our listeners. If you have anything to comment about the difference between our GT students and our at-risk students, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, write in, give us your perspective. If you have any ideas about how to differentiate for these these kids in your classroom, we'd love to share. We are a community. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. We are at Intervene4Real. Number four, Real. We are blogging at realtalkintervention.blogspot.com. And we will be back with episode number 26, where we're talking a little bit about so that'll be a fun one thank you for listening